Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick Klein, we had a major election already. Uh, it's only uh, beginning of September, but we had an election in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. And it was a primary. Why do they do primaries so late? Anyway, the big headline out of Massachusetts is that Joe Kennedy III has become the, the first Kennedy to lose a Democratic primary in the state of Massachusetts in all of American history. And there have been quite a few of them. Uh, losing to, uh, to Senator Markey, tried to try to, to knock him off. Ed Markey, of course, uh, has been in Congress longer than Joe Kennedy III's been alive. And I think maybe longer than we've been alive. We're pretty close. Um, been around for a long time. So this was a uh, quite a result coming out of Massachusetts. Joe Kennedy III, who I, I know well, I know you know him as well, a friend of the podcast, actually. Um, a, a, a real talent, um, somebody who is seen as having a, a, a big future in, uh, in democratic politics. But he, he took a big risk here by trying to knock off an incumbent senator who was, you know, from the start, quite popular in the state of Massachusetts. And, and the context in this race is important. And, you know, as you know, John, I, I covered Massachusetts politics uh, at the Boston Globe starting in, in, in two, year 2000. So I, I've known Ed Markey for a long time, known Joe Kennedy for, for a long time. Uh, everyone has always said about Joe Kennedy, uh, since back when he was a DA, uh, that, that he had national abilities, inclinations, he could go all the way. He could be a president Kennedy. He could be a senator Kennedy. In fact, the Senate seats kind of had a name on it, his name on it for a while. He was trying to jump the line, though, because things were getting crowded in Massachusetts. Politics is changing. And there's a, lo a lot of folks that believe that the next time a Senate seat opens up in Massachusetts, and keep in mind, they don't open up very long. Those guys named Kennedy and Kerry had those seats for a long time, uh, that, that Ayanna Presley, a uh, member of the squad who knocked off an incumbent on our own two years ago, is going to would jump into the fray if there is an opening. So he took a risk. It was a calculated risk to to try to knock off Ed Markey, who is a a, a progressive, um, you know, good guy. I don't think anyone ever speaks ill of him. The dean of the delegation in Massachusetts, uh, well well known in Washington, perhaps better known in Washington than Massachusetts. But uh, when he announced a year ago. A lot of the people that I talked to in Massachusetts thought that um, you know Markey might retire, uh, he'd get out of the way, uh, uh, Kennedy would 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 be a shoe in to win this. And then something weird happened, something interesting happened, which is uh, the voters happened, and of course AOC got involved. And uh, if you listen to Ed Markey in this campaign, you heard a lot about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who defied a lot of people's expectations of her and endorsed Ed Markey, and they teamed up on the Green New Deal, and suddenly Ed Markey, age seventy four. Um, in Washington since the mid-1970s, uh, became the insurgent. And he was able to rebrand, recast himself, and tap into a lot of the, the young progressive energy that's out there, a la Bernie Sanders, a contemporary of his, and beat a Kennedy in Massachusetts. It, it, is, it is stunning in the broad scope of things. And it tells us, I think, something important about where the Democratic Party is today. And and it was the the endorsements were interesting actually across the board. I mean, you had uh, on one hand AOC uh, endorsing Ed Markey, but uh, you know Joe Kennedy uh, had uh, had had a very impressive uh, list of endorsements, including uh, Nancy Pelosi. Look, I, I got to say, and I and I, and I want to get on to um, to the president's activities this week and Joe Biden's response, but I, I have to say that that knowing and following uh, Joe's career. Uh, th you know this this is a setback without question, but I think that he's uh, I think he's got a a uh, 
first of all, he's very young. Um, but 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 I think that uh, I think that he's got a next act that will that will be very you know that he'll he'll pull something off that's going to be. I think he's I think he's going to be a player in democratic politics, a major player, major major player in democratic politics uh, for for a long time, despite this serious setback. I agree with that. He 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 loses his house seat. Um, if Joe Biden wins, you can easily see him sliding into the administration. Um, he's always going to be a Kennedy. That's an interesting thing about family legacies is that you could be a former whatever, but you're always going to be a Kennedy. He's in, he is a, he is an attractive and bright guy, and he'll, he has all of those things ahead of him. But for now, it is Senator Markey, and it's Senator Markey powered by a progressive movement that, by the way, is not necessarily Joe Biden's Democratic Party. Um, Ed Markey and Joe Biden see eye to eye on lots of things, but you know, talk Green New Deal, talk Medicare for all, and you start to see some some. Uh, uh, some breakdowns in democratic unity going forward, and uh, these are the these are the little fissures that are going to play out in maybe more dramatic fashion if Biden is able to win the presidency. Okay, now we broke a big story uh, on ABC this morning on election interference. Uh, we really got the goods on this one, Rick. It was a uh, an intelligence bulletin uh, that was written in early July that was supposed to be sent out, a uh, warning about uh, a Russian campaign a scheme to plant stories about uh, about Joe Biden's mental uh, mental health um, and this thing was set to go out it did not go out we got the details on how that all happened so we're going to come back in the show and we're going to talk to John Cohen who used to work uh, in the intelligence unit over at the Department of, of Homeland Security and in the secretary's office and he's going to help us explain what went down with this bulletin but before we get to that, I want to talk about a different kind of interference. This interview that the president had with Laura Ingram, which was spread out over two days, uh, had a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting things from the president, but none more interesting than what he had to say about these dark forces and the shadows uh, controlling Joe Biden. Take a listen. Who do you Take think control. is pulling Biden's strings? Uh, is it former Obama people officials? that you've never heard of? People that are in the dark shadows, people that... Oh, what are, does that mean? That sounds like conspiracy theory, dark shadows. No, what is people that? that you haven't heard of. They're, they're people that are on the streets. They're people that are controlling the streets. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend. And in the plane, it was almost completely loaded with, with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms with gear and this and that. They're, they're on a plane. Where's the where's this? I'll tell you sometime, but I, I, it's under investigation right now. And and then Rick, so I mean, you know, we're on a plane, and, and he can't tell us where it was, but he's going to tell us sometime. But anyway, he look, he's the president. Uh, he has access. I don't know if you know this, but he has access to the to the best intelligence that there is. I mean, he's got he, as I, I believe he's got the clearance. He can see anything. So he's got he's got a thing called the CIA out there. He's got the DNI. They got a you know they got a whole bunch of other intelligence agencies. He's got the FBI. He can talk to. Uh, anyway, he was asked what he actually meant by this. Can you tell us more about this plot that you were referring to on Fox News last night. Which I could probably refer you to the person, and they could do it. I'd like to ask that person if it was okay. But a person was on a plane uh, said that there were about six. People like that person, more or less. And what happened is the entire plane filled up with the looters, the anarchists, the rioters, people that obviously were looking for trouble. 
and the person felt very uncomfortable in the plane. This was a first-hand account of a plane going from Washington to wherever. And I'll see if I can get that information for you. Maybe they'll speak to you. Maybe they won't. Person, woman, man, looter, rioter. <laughs> it does tell you that you know he's talking to people that are probably more influential than even his own intelligence uh, community when it comes to getting inside his head. If this is uh, any theory as to who, Rick? Any theory? I, I, I'm, I'm. Well, who who gave the president this 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 sizzling hot piece of uh, intelligence? It had apparently evaded the uh, the FBI. I don't have a name for you, but I do. I think I think it is as, as probably someone that we've seen on TV a couple of times. That would be my guess: is that these this, the part of the network of people who are in touch with the president on a regular basis, passing him things that passing on things. A lot of these people are on you know nationally recognized radio and television programs on a on a regular basis, talking about the president's insights. It's it is a wild. Uh, uh, way to manage a White House, as you know well, John. Uh, but uh, look, there's no evidence. We should state it forthrightly. There's no evidence that um, anyone is organizing these or paying for these uh, for, for protests. Uh, the plane, the thugs on a plane theory has not had any evidence uh, uh, to, to support it. And, and this was a week also where Joe Biden, I think, you know, took a very firm stance uh, uh, against it and, and basically called the president out to say, you're not going to be able to just suggest that I'm somebody that I'm not. Take a listen to what what he said um, on on Monday uh, about uh, the efforts by the president to try to, to to portray him in a certain way. Ask yourself, do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really? I want a safe America, safe from COVID, safe from crime and looting, safe from racially motivated violence, safe from bad cops. Let me be crystal clear. Safe from four more years of Donald Trump. Call it the really strategy, right? The, you were going to buy that? Really? 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 Me? And this is, we, we see this in polling, John. We see this, I think, in our perceptions of, of the race throughout. It's going to be very hard to turn Joe Biden into a, a radical, you know, left-wing, um, you know, maybe shell who's, who's doing the bidding of, of people on the fringes. It's hard to do. It's not impossible. And president's doing probably an effective job in framing the debate around, quote unquote, law and order, when, as we've talked about, these are sights and sounds from his own America. But making Joe Biden into uh, this you know, crazy socialist monster is going to be a very difficult task. And I think Biden, as he emerges a little bit more, now he's going to be going to Wisconsin uh, tomorrow, uh, he's going to make it difficult for the president to turn him into something that he isn't. Yeah, but it's not so much Biden is a socialist monster. It's it's what you pointed to, the shell. Uh, that, 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 that Biden isn't controlled by Biden, that those people in the shadows. <laughs> uh, but what he's saying when, he, when he's a little more convincing is he's, is he's He's saying that, look, Biden is the figurehead here, but the Democratic Party has gone far to the left. They're the ones that are going to have the real influence. You know, it's going to be uh, AOC. It's going to be Bernie Sanders. It's going to be the far left. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. But when he goes off and talks about plane loads full of uh, looters and riders, do they wear uniforms? I mean, you, how, how do you identify on the plane that you got a looter and a rider and an agitator? Uh, I, I, and by the I, same token, John, I mean, you're right, but I also think we can't underestimate the degree to which people may be watching the sights and sounds uh, from, from Portland, from yes. Wisconsin, uh, or the, earlier in the summer, Minnesota, and said, well, you know, wait a second, what is going on here? And, and if they 
And again, it's awkward for the president because literally he is the president now. But if they associate the president, the incumbent president, with a guy who wants to crack down on it and associate the challenger with someone who um, is wink, wink, nod, nod, okay with, uh, with, with violence continuing, uh, that's, that's a different election. And that's an election Donald Trump can win. Right, and and the images of, uh, of of storefronts being smashed in, of you know fires being set, of you know looting and rioting, uh, you know some on the uh, on, on the fringes offering an intellectual defense of of looting uh, as as a as a form of legitimate protest. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that that Donald Trump will try to uh, and and his campaign will try to. Tied directly to Joe Biden, and to say that's basically what what the case Joe Biden's making. Now, Joe Biden himself has never made any case anywhere near anywhere remotely like that throughout his lengthy career in public office. But they will try to make that case. So maybe it's person, looter, rioter, camera, TV, something. I, I continue to say I would I would fail the quiz, so I'm not going to even engage. I already forgot okay. what you said. I already all right, the order. all right. Well, let's. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a, a, a deeper dive into this story about the DHS writing an intelligence bulletin warning about a, a Russian scheme to interfere with the election and a bulletin uh, that was uh, withheld, and withheld, uh, it appears to be, uh, at the direction of the Office of the Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. We will be right back. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics, and we are joined now by John Cohen, former Acting Undersecretary for Intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security and an ABC News contributor. Uh, John, thanks for joining us. Hi, great to be with you. Wanted to bring you on to talk about uh, this story that, uh, that we just broke here uh, on ABC, which seems pretty clear-cut and quite remarkable. Um, this is a story about how the uh, DHS had uh, prepared an intelligence bulletin that was going to go out to uh, to various uh, local and state uh, law enforcement agencies and other stakeholders about Russian interference in the election. Uh, you know, what, what, just uh, just an alert: the the, the 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 bulletin which we obtained uh, said very simply. I'll give you the title. The title was uh, "Russia Likely to Denigrate Health of U.S. Candidates to Influence 2020 Election," and this bulletin. Uh, made it clear that it was really U.S. candidate, and that U.S. candidate is Joe Biden. Um, they they say we as we assess Russian malign influence actors are likely to continue denigrating presidential candidates through allegations of poor mental or physical health to influence the outcome of the 2020 elections. That's from the bulletin. They point to some examples, including uh, stories that were placed in Russia-controlled. Uh, um, news outlets like RT and Sputnik about Biden, uh, alleging that Biden's occasional misspeaking is signs of, quote, dementia. Um, and anyway, so th th this bulletin was, was set to, to go out. We uh, uh, obtained uh, an email uh, that went internally to the senior leadership of, uh, of DHS uh, saying this was dated July 7th, this, this July 7th, two months ago, about two months ago saying that the bulletin was going to go out on July 9th. Um, but here's, you know, for everybody to take a look at before we send it out. And then within an hour of that memo going out, we have uh, an email coming back from the chief of staff to Chad Wolf saying, hold on, wait, uh, 
we, we need to first discuss this uh, with, with uh, AS1. Here's the actual language of the email. Please hold on sending this one out until you have a chance to speak to AS1. AS1, Acting Secretary Chad Wolf. That was two months ago. The memo never came out. Now, John, in reporting this, we have obviously went to get a response from the uh, public affairs folks at the Department of Homeland Security. What surprised me is this response came in late last night is absolutely no denial of the story. In fact, they confirmed the story. They said that the reason why the memo did not go out, this bulletin did not go out, is because uh, they, they, they had questions about it. Uh, that, that, that it wasn't fully developed in terms of, uh, of, of, of the intelligence behind it um, and uh, you know the language of this bulletin. So that's why they held it back, they say. Uh, I'm suspicious of that. Can you tell me what, what, what's your take on this? You, you worked over there. You worked in intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security. What, what is the significance of this bulletin being drafted? Seemed rather routine. Uh, planned to be sent out, and then suddenly, because the chief of staff to the secretary says, hold off, it doesn't go out. Yeah, so there's a few issues, um, and I'm skeptical as you are. So first, as it relates to the release of this specific or any product coming out of uh, DHS's intelligence arm, uh, intelligence and analysis office, is as a product is developed, it goes through rigorous scrutiny by lawyers, by uh, parts of the department involved with civil liberties and civil rights protection and privacy. And it goes through rigorous review from an intelligence perspective. Are the sources credible? Um, is the information credible? You know, can we confirm it? And if it passes all those bars, if, it, if, if all that, you know, if it goes through all of that, then a product is finalized. And right before it's released, a memo, an email goes out with saying, this product's about to be released. Take a look at it. You may get questions. So it's not that it's sent around the department for approval. It's sent out to legislative affairs, public affairs, the secretary's office saying, we're about to release this intelligence product. Uh, you may get questions about it. We want to give you a heads up about it. That's the point that this memo was apparently blocked. And that's highly unusual. And in my time at DHS, and as you pointed out, I work both in the secretary's office uh, and I also led INA for a short time period. During my time uh, and in my experience, a product was never blocked in that way. Maybe you played with the timing of the release because someone had an event or was on travel, depending on the, on the importance of the event. But um, you never, I never experienced a product being blocked. The second point that's really important about this is that this, along with other reporting, suggests that Russia is still of concern. They're, they're using uh, the spreading of disinformation and conspiracy theories in an effort to influence the outcome of the election. Uh, the way they are doing that is a, through a combination of um, social media to, and, and uh, what they call gray sites, which are uh, online sites that are supposed to look like uh, media or think tank sites. And they introduce this disinformation and they hope that mainstream media sources, politicians, others will 
amplify the disinformation they're sending. And your story suggests that that's the process that was followed with this, that DHS and the intelligence community picked up that this was a line of narrative that Russian, Russia was using as a part of their disinformation campaign, and they were able to successfully get uh, the mainstream environment to pick up on it uh, and to amplify it as well. Now, uh, one important point is is this bulletin, and again, I've posted this. Uh, we, I've, if you look on, I posted it on my Twitter feed. Uh, you'll be able to see a full uh, write up on all of this on abcnews.com. <clears throat> so you can go look, and you can see the actual documents here. And it's important that the bulletin, um, although it's headlined about Russia, uh, the bulk of it is about Russia. It also says that they assess uh, that actually the Iranians and the Chinese. Uh, uh, are trying to do a similar uh, thing, questioning the mental health and preparedness of presidential candidates. Although in that case, uh, it is uh, uh, trying to raise questions about the mental preparedness of, of Donald Trump, suggesting he's a narcissist and, uh, and, and has mental problems. That's the Chinese and the Iranians. But the bulk of this is, is about the Russians. What I want to ask is, is the other part of the what I want to ask you is about is, is the other part of the DHS explanation as to why this was blocked. They say that three other bulletins on election security were sent out by the Department of, uh, of Homeland Security in the month of August alone. So in other words, they're not blocking information about election security. It's just that they just didn't believe this one. Uh, was really ready to go. Do you? What do you make of that explanation? And do you have any visibility on that? These are these are not classified documents, but they're also not generally public release documents. They go out to to, to law enforcement um, and other stakeholders. Do you do you know about these other three bulletins and uh, whether or not they actually get into this question of Russian interference specifically? Um, I don't know what three bulletins they are referencing in particular. Uh, there has been reporting that has come out of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, the intelligence community more broadly, and even Department of Homeland Security talking about um, interference in the 2020 election. But, there, but there's also a, a growing body of public reporting. And some of this is coming from people who recently have left the the, the Trump administration, that uh, the intelligence community uh, is uh, basically operates under an understanding that reporting on Russia will be met with anger by the president, will elicit a negative response. And the way that they can get information out about Russia is by blending it together with references to other countries like China and Iran. And that's really, from my perspective, as somebody who has worked for Republicans and Democratic administrations, who has worked in homeland security and law enforcement and national security for over three decades, that's really dangerous because you know, the only thing that should be guiding the release of intelligence products, um, particularly intelligence products that are intended to help us counteract a serious threat, uh, is to make sure that they're objective and they're based on fact and they're not influenced altered or blocked for political considerations. And if and if important intelligence, and think about this, right? We're talking about disinformation campaigns. We're talking about foreign intelligence services uh, planting conspiracy theories and lies into the you know public discourse to influence how people act on election day, whether they 
decide not to come out and vote or whether they vote in a certain way. The only way you can counteract that is by identifying those uh, that inaccurate information and notifying people. And that's what this bulletin was intended to do, right? This bulletin was intended, was a message from the Department of Homeland Security saying, hey, we feel highly confident that Russia, as part of their disinformation effort, is spreading this line of narrative about Joe Biden's mental acuity. And we think you need to know this so that when you see this information, you disregard it. So by blocking this, you're actually undermining the ability of our government to protect against foreign interference. John, can you try to decode for us the the meaning of uh, make sure you make sure you're talking to Chad Wolf before this goes out? Chad Wolf is being a controversial figure. John John Carl just interviewed him on Sunday on this week, as a matter of fact. But uh, a, a lot of folks have, have been arguing that his um, uh, that he's in the role now as acting secretary in an improper fashion. The president um, has indicated that he's uh, nominating him, although it's unclear if he's ever going to be installed on a permanent basis. Uh, he was chief of staff before to, to, to Secretary Nielsen. But what, what does it mean to you, or how can you read between lines here to, to figure out what it means that you had to check with Chad Wolf before this could go any further? I think it means exactly what you just described. I think what it, it's a message being sent to the office of uh, intelligence and analysis that this product is not to go out until the secretary says it can go out. Is there another leap you can you can draw based on who Chad Wolf is and how this administration operates? That this does this does this suggest to you that that it's some kind of a flag that that um, that Secretary Wolf would have because of the president's concerns? There have been concerns that raised regarding uh, Acting Secretary Wolf that his willingness to embrace the political rhetoric um, and the narrative, the political narratives of this administration um, have, uh, have served to undermine the credibility or at least create a perception amongst a broad part of our population uh, that the department is operating based on political considerations versus um, operational and, and, th- and, and what the threat intelligence actually tells us. And I think you can point to, you know, over the past three and a half years that this isn't simply limited to to, to Chad Wolf, though I, I think there are some things that he's doing right now that have people scratching their heads, particularly as it relates to his rhetoric uh, involving state and local authorities uh, during this time per- the time period of these protests. But you know, if you look at the department and the way that it uh, described uh, the conditions at the southern border to uh, suggest that there were terrorists pouring across the border uh, or that conditions were more dangerous than they were to justify the border wall and some of the other actions that were taken. If you look at the fact that uh, the department's leadership um, and uh, the White House uh, you know, emphasized the threat posed by uh, left, what they describe as left-wing radical extremists versus what their own intelligence reporting is saying, which is there's violence occurring in cities across the country by extremists on both the far right and the far left. Uh, the willingness to attack local officials with very, you know, virulent language. Um, you know, in my experience, if you had concerns about how local officials were behaving operationally, that was a private discussion between senior managers at the department and those local officials. The willingness to throw out there publicly uh, and blame local officials for destruction and violence occurring in cities, um, you know, is problematic. It undermines not only the credibility of the organization, but it also undermines the relationship with those state and local officials. And the Department of Homeland Security has a broad set of missions, and it can't conduct and almost any of them without strong support from state and local governments. So, 
there's a number of law enforcement officials I've spoken to over the past few days that are scratching their heads saying, why, why would he take such a hostile tone, uh, you know, with, with partners that he has to rely on uh, in the days, months, weeks ahead to protect the homeland. So, you know, there are concerns being raised that, you know, he has been more willing than others to embrace the partisan political rhetoric and amplify that rhetoric on behalf of the president. And that's not helpful to the departments being able to to carry out its critical mission. John Cohen, what, what other question connecting dots here? We, you know, we saw the announcement from the administration uh, over the weekend that, um, that in-person intelligence briefings uh, from the uh, Office of uh, Director of National Intelligence would cease for members of Congress. Uh, they're concerned about leaks. Uh, there's a lot of information that the federal government has uh, and a lot of discretion that the federal government has in how that information is disseminated. Do you see a pattern here? Do you see connective tissue between those the, these different storylines that uh, that we're talking about? No, I think it's the latter. I see connective tissue. I think you know, particularly as it relates to the Intel committees, the Senate and the House Intelligence Committees. Um, you know, it's a regular occurrence. I've done it. Uh, other officials with, across the intelligence community regularly go to those committees and provide in-person briefing. In-person briefings are important because it allows the in, the members of the intelligence committees to. Uh, ask questions that allow them to evaluate, you know, how the intelligence was collected, uh, to evaluate the credibility of the intelligence. If you are restricting in-person briefings at the same time you're blocking or altering um, intelligence products so that they either don't piss off the president or they um, or they support the political, the, the partisan political narrative or the campaign narrative, then you you th- there are concerns. Uh, right, con- rightful concerns uh, that uh, the Congress isn't getting the whole picture. So, you know, look, as it relates to the, to the election, right, where we're, it's just around the corner. We know that Russia has, Russia and other foreign hostile countries ha- have, are, are engaged in an effort to influence the outcome of those elections. We know that there are concerns that enough hasn't been done to counteract those activities, particularly as it relates to the use of uh, conspiracy theories and disinformation to influence uh, voter behavior. Uh, We know that one of the ways that you counteract those types of campaigns is by sharing information as broadly as possible with Congress, uh, those running for office, the political parties, state and local officials, and even the public so that they can understand how this disinformation is being spread and can recognize it when they see it. So you wanna share information about the content of this disinformation. And you do that because that's how you counteract disinformation campaigns. You tell people, hey, you may be seeing this, you may be hearing this, it's not true. And it's part of an effort by a foreign government to influence your behavior before you walk into a voting booth, uh, if you even decide to go to the voting booth based on you seeing this information. So this isn't the time to restrict the flow of information to anybody. We, the, the government as a core part of their efforts to protect the 2020 election should be out there um, sharing information as broadly as possible, in particular Congress. So, you know, as, again, as a security and law enforcement professional, I find it really disturbing uh, the, the, the pattern that is becoming clearer and clearer uh, that, 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 that actions that are vital to protecting this nation, not only through the election, um, but more broadly, are just not occurring. Um, and, it, and it's not occurring because intelligence professionals are afraid 
of, of, of angering the president uh, or putting something out that's viewed as being inconsistent with their political narrative. Well, I, I thought that one of the more alarming things that I found out through the process of writing Front Row at the Trump Show was that Kirsten Nielsen, in her entire tenure as the Secretary of Homeland Security, a tenure that included the midterm elections, uh, presiding over during the midterm elections, when there was a, an obvious uh, threat, uh, a verified threat uh, from foreign actors, including the Russians, to interfere, uh, that uh, she had a grand total of one, one conversation with the President of the United States about election security. One conversation, a briefing uh, that was held in the Situation Room, scheduled with all the, the relevant players, and the way the briefing was described to me, as I, as I write in my book, it started out with a brief, you know, she, she said what it was going to be about. The president said, it's very clear that, that the Russians didn't do anything to change to, to get me elected, right? I mean, it's, it didn't change a single vote. Or, and, and then it went off the rails, went on to other subjects. It never actually went and discussed the security of the upcoming election. So it was one conversation on election security, and it was not a detailed conversation. And if you don't have the president of the United States setting the agenda and describing what the priorities are, you know, as, as you know, as somebody who is, has worked at high levels in administration, it's, um, you know, it's harder to get things done. So, but um, John, John Cohen, thank you for, for coming on Powerhouse Politics and helping us uh, understand what seemed to me to be a pretty significant story here uh, this morning on ABC News. Yeah, thanks. It was nice being with you. All right, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. We will be back next week for Trevor Hastings, who has returned. Uh, Avery Miller and the entire Powerhouse Politics team, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.